After growing up in an abusive home and then bouncing around in the foster care system, Josh Brewer had given up looking for a real dad. At age 16, he had decided to simply put his head down and try to blend in. It seemed that no one cared about him, so why should he care about anything? Well, that all changed when he met his Heavenly Father. God introduced himself to Josh one night at youth group, when all hope had seemed lost. Josh felt an overpowering love from this God that wrecked him. This was a father he couldn't see, but oh, he could hear him. Josh's spirit leapt when he felt God asking him to venture into music and see what good gifts God had in store for him there. And so I start learning chords, and then uh, our youth pastor at the time, uh, he said, hey, we need, a, we need a keyboard player. And, you know, would you, would you mind jumping in? Josh's journey admittedly had somewhat a rocky start, but he was so enraptured by his father's loving voice calling him forward that he refused to stop. Welcome to Josh Brewer's final episode on Kavah. Welcome back to Kavah the Podcast. I'm Kelly Archibald, and I want to thank you for tuning in. We live in a crazy world, so we made this podcast to shine some hope into your life. Our guests have lived through some incredible things, both good and bad, and they want to share their stories with you. Listeners like you make this podcast possible. If you've been inspired or encouraged by these stories, please consider supporting us on Patreon or contacting us about sponsorship opportunities. You can find more information about us at kavahpodcast.com. That's Q-A-V-A-H podcast.com. My cousin, my uncle's son, uh-huh. who was there then in the home, he played bass in the band. So he's like, hey, you need to come play keys. And, and so I jumped up and, and uh, auditioned. And, and I'll never forget playing. Uh, first service I was playing. It's horrible. I didn't know what I was doing. And we finished the service. And uh, we get to the message part. And the youth pastor is, uh, we got two youth pastors. One of them is giving the message. And he's giving this altar response time. And the other one is in the back sitting next to me. And like I said, a couple hundred kids. And this guy back here literally bench pressed like 400 pounds. He's just a huge man. And he's like, all right, go up there. I'm like, I can't go up there. He's like, just go and play behind him. And, you know, when he's giving this altar call. And and it seemed like 10 minutes. It must have been a minute or two. I finally went up there and I played all these minor chords, which are like depressing, you know, (laughs) chords. And I was like, oh my gosh, I never forget. The service ended. And I'm like, I'm never doing this again. And literally was quitting right there. And I just felt that little tug of, it's okay, I'll yeah. get back up. And, and so I did and, and started playing the next week. And, and eventually that process happened and went on uh, for a couple of years. And I was still the type, reluct- scared to death, reluctant right. to get on stage. Right. Put me in the corner in the shadows. Right. I don't want to be seen. And fast forward a couple of years, um, there was a very influential man in my life. Um, it was a band back in that day uh, called Sonic Flood. Mm-hmm. They were very well known at the time, had a lot of success in the contemporary Christian music. Um, and the lead singer was a guy named Jeff Dio. And he was actually my 10th grade Sunday school teacher when he was in town. Oh, wow. And so he quickly became a, a mentor and just a man that I looked to. Okay, what does it mean to be right. a man in general, let alone a godly man? And so I was about 21 
uh, still playing keys in the band and uh, at church. And uh, the youth pastor calls me one Wednesday night and he's like, hey, uh, the guys that are leading worship, they can't be here tonight. Can you jump in? Now, like I said, three, three, four hundred kids in the youth group. At this point, never sang in front of anybody in my life. And I was like, oh, here's a need. I've been saved for about, you know, four years now. Let me let me be a team player. Let me jump wow. in. And I get up there and I lead. And at this point, like Jeff had been, I mean, traveling all around the world, doing these worship city nights and sonic praise and all these other things where thousands of people were gathering together to worship. And so that was really the only influence of worship that I had. The problem is that was the only example I had. I didn't know what I was doing. So I try to emulate and kind of recreate that. And and um, I get up there, leave worship, pour out my heart. It's horrible, right? And I just know. And Jeff comes up and uh, it's funny. He comes to our keyboard player, that she was 13. And uh, he says, hey, that was good. You know, just play a little bit, you know, real gentle. And then he turns to me and just he and I, he says his opening statement was, that was the worst worship service I've ever been a part of. Oh, <laughs> and, then, and then he went on, you know, for the next 10 minutes, he's like, and I kept looking at my watch, wondering when oh. it was going to end. I kept seeing kids get up in the back and he's like, man, you're not called to do this. You're called to play for somebody like me who's called to do this. And, and really it was out of love. It was like, right. I know what's needed for this and you don't have it. And it was, it was a catalytic moment because I never forget going back to that. I valued his opinion so much. And on right. one hand, I was like, He's right. I'm right. done. I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna do this. And on the other hand, it was, man, God, I feel like you, you called me to do right. this, and I was just trying to put my yes on the table. Maybe this isn't the right thing, um, the right avenue, whatever. But, anyways, uh, it was a catalytic moment, and and I'll never forget. So that was uh, May of uh, May. Uh, let's see, that was 2005, and shortly thereafter, actually, within that uh, the next year and a half or so. Uh, Man, God just continued to open up doors uh, for that particular gift. Most people would have been demolished by this kind of criticism. But Josh simply had a quiet faith that God had something good for him in music, even if he didn't know what it looked like yet. Didn't sing for a while at that point, kind of came back and really just trusted the Lord for, okay, let me go back. I'm going to keep playing keys and keep just being faithful with the opportunities that... um, that he uh, would open. And so uh, at that moment, that was a catalytic moment because literally every every thought of rejection, every thought of abandonment, every thought yeah. of, you have a guy who is a, a physical, like earthly, like a father mentor. You also have the spiritual mentor. And so from a personal, from a spiritual, even from a professional standpoint, uh, that was a moment where it was either like make it or break. And, uh, you know, I was certainly broken and it took weeks to get past just the, the initial shock of that. But that was what the Lord was using to set up. Uh, ultimately, you know, when the Bible says that what uh, that God uses the weak or the, the, the dumb to right. confound or put to shame the strong and the wise. And so that was that was that's a foundation for the ministry that God would do from that point on. And so you continued in that. Yeah. So. Uh, continue to just be faithful at this point. Uh, okay, God, let me put my yes on the table. Uh, professionally, I was doing business management and started off in high school, worked at Arby's, my first job. I said, I'm going to be the best fry flipper in town. And sure enough, I, I worked through it. Um, in high school, got promoted five times. And when I was graduating, I was ready to be a store manager. 
and ended up leaving that, went to a retail company, and I was a kind of a mom and pop retail uh, store, and they had four stores, and I was a store manager at that point. And so uh, serving in the church on Wednesdays for students and, you know, the, the commitment to that, leading a, a small group, uh, being involved with the college and career class, and uh, and then working that. So that's kind of what life was like for that season. Um, after that moment, I actually had left a couple months after that to go with a, uh, one of the pastors of the church that I was at was launching a church and I felt called to go there, but I felt like the Lord said, wait. And so I waited, they launched, uh, January of 2006 and uh, I didn't go at first and I I waited. I, I, I felt like the Lord said, okay, this is where you're called, but, but wait. And then I started filling all my positions in the youth band. I raised up, okay, here's this person's going to take this position here in the, in the, uh, college and career class. Here's the person that's going to be a a group leader here trying to cover all my bases. And, um, fast forward, it was about 10 months or so, um, after when I originally felt that I was supposed to go the launch. And then about eight months after that, and I was sitting there and won't get all the details, but there was a pastor that basically called me and knew that I felt called to go to this other church. And he was upset that I didn't go when they officially launched. And this was a another catalytic moment on here for ministry pace and the trajectory because basically he just called me and said, hey, I heard that you're leaving. You're in ministry. That's not good. Give me a call. So I called him back. And I'm just a volunteer at this point. I'm not on staff. But it was a large church. And and basically he just said, what, when I told him, I said, I felt the Lord tell me to wait. You know, he said, what well, do you think you hear from God more than me and my staff? Because I told you if you're supposed to go, you're going to go in January. And then he's like, do you think you have a direct hotline to God? And and so at that time, I'm like, no, you know, mighty man of God, you know, whatever. And But I didn't realize the implication of that because here's another spiritual authority that that really was just misguided. Um, and so all of those kind of, those those father figures, those mentors speaking into that really was, that just it was another wound uh, in that. So take that moment from there, continue still being faithful, ended up going uh, at, after that conversation with the church that had just launched a couple months before. And ironically, they, as soon as I jumped in, they said, hey, we need somebody to lead worship in youth. And so I kind of smiled because it was a few months afterwards since that first conversation with, with uh, my mentor, Jeff. And I thought, God, how funny is this that you're throwing me in here? Still didn't know what I was doing, but it was, it was um, because it was a church launch, it gave me the opportunity to, to kind of build from the ground up. And it was just me on acoustic. And uh, eventually that just grew. We ended up growing uh, over those years, grew a full band that had almost all students. And it, and it really was a beautiful thing. All the while, while I was doing that, um, ended up, Jeff called me one time and uh, he was like, hey, I need a keyboard player. The guy, his guy was leaving. He's like, I want you to audition. And I'm scared to death, so insecure. But I was like, here's an incredible opportunity. And I go and audition and just completely blow it. Didn't play the right things, the right voicings. Once again, nervous, scared. Right. And Jeff comes up and he says, uh, like, you and I both know that was bad. He's like, but I, but I really feel like God is saying that you're supposed to be the one. Wow. And so I'm going to give you a chance. And that really just was the beginning of, of an incredible opportunity. Since then, uh, you know, over the years, I, you know, I started traveling with him and, and really just went from quit my, my job in business management. And really, we were gone almost every Thursday through Sunday. Mm-hmm churches, conferences, conventions. I really had the opportunity, played in, I don't know, 
45 different states and from Florida to New York to Washington to California, you know, Hawaii, Alaska, um, Canada, you know, all around the different parts of the world. And um, in that, I mean, the Lord just started, I mean, there was the ministry growing element, the personal growth in that. All the while, when I was home, most Wednesdays, I was still growing as a worship leader myself. So with him traveling and right. end up traveling with a couple of different artists at the time, growing in my instrumental side, but then also growing in my leadership side. Yeah. And so it, that was something that really at that point, it, it's funny because then I started seeing a background with him and then we kind of joked about it. He's like, isn't funny how I said that and, you know, <laughs> prophecy didn't come true. And, and then really he's always been, he's been one of my number one mentors um, since, you know, since getting saved. And really in that, it was just a unique moment because God really used, even in his moment as a, as a good intention, hey, I'm looking out for you, you know, didn't really fully see, whereas most people, the lens that we see is through, hey, I'm going to see the problem, where God always sees the potential. And so for me, that was one of those things that God knew what he had put inside of me. And on the outside, it didn't look like it, but, you know, it was still reflective from a, even from a skill set, because obviously I grew a little bit since then and, and got a little bit better, not too much better, but, um, but it was one of those things that God wanted to use somebody like me who is just really looking for the old cliche. It's not about your ability. It's about your availability. Really, there was something that God was, I want to use. Some, actually, the thing that, that you think disqualifies him is actually the thing that qualifies yes. him. And the thing that, that you think is this qualifier really is what disqualifies us. And so there were some foundational teachings that the Lord just put in my heart of that. Hey, don't think that it's in your own ability. It's in your own gift, yeah. your own skill set. But it's like, I'm actually going to use the thing that you think is the, the greatest disqualifier. I'm going to use that. And I've seen those parallels all throughout the scripture. When you look at the life of Moses, who, when yeah. he called them, he says, I, 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 I can't. And the very thing that he thought was disqualifying, God was using, because that's where he gets the most glory. So that began the process yeah. of my ministry. Josh began to understand that God had hidden something beautiful in him this whole time, even though it was invisible on the outside. And a little while later, he got to see someone else the same way God saw him. So somewhere along the way, you married. Yeah, so I was, um, I was traveling at this time, and uh, we were actually playing uh, in Nashville, which is a very rare thing, uh, usually... I mean, the people that play in Nashville are the, on the side of the street, the little right, uh, you know, right. guitar guys by the bars or whatever. And, um, but we were playing at a place there, and I went to Sonic, and I went up, ordered my food, and out come this girl with this, uh, this tray, and I'm like, my God, is good. I started having church right there in the parking lot. And Sonic food isn't the best for you, but right. that, that night uh, it was. And I uh, hit that red button a couple more times and ordered, and uh, this beautiful girl on the outside, but really incredibly broken on the inside. And I didn't know it at the time, but was wrestling with suicidal thoughts, hate, you know, hate, thoughts of hatred towards yourself, alcohol abuse, substance abuse, pills, uh, really just feeling completely broken on the inside, but portrayed like it was just everything was good. And uh, in that moment, you know, I got to have some conversation with her. We ended up sitting down uh, and went to a Starbucks and she came up and and it was one of those things that. You know, I was just honestly, it wasn't even like a spiritual moment. I was like, I was just physically attracted to her. And we're sitting talking and I quickly realized, man, this girl's got some issues. And I'm like, well, God, you brought her past me. You know, we've been, I've been safer, you know, at this point, I guess five years or so. 
And I was like, I'm going to share the gospel with her. I'm going to cleanse my hands from this. I'm going to walk away. And I ain't got time for this because, you know, I, there's enough drama in the church where I don't, I don't need help for this. I'm trying to get myself right. right. <laughs> and so I, I shared with her that, you know, God's love and that Psalm 139, that, that God has more good thoughts about you than the stars in the sky and, and that she's valuable. And, and in that moment, uh, I just prayed in kind of a weird, she was sitting next to me and and I said, hey, can I put my hands on you? You know, I was thinking what Paul said, lay your, lay your hands on him and pray. And, and she thought it was super weird. But anyways, I prayed for her <laughs> and she accepted Christ that night. Oh, wow. And then we kind of went our separate ways for a little while. And she uh, she kind of did her thing. And I would um, come up there. I, I remember bringing my sister up there, my younger sister. Um, at this point, all uh, the older kids had moved back to Nashville. And so the two older ones had moved back. And uh, my mom had actually come back in the picture. So in this time when I meet my wife, uh, my mom had moved back in. She's gotten sober. God's done tremendous work in her life. And now we're we're reconnected from the family unit. Obviously, we still have our own dysfunction of just how we grew up. We're like, well, how does this, how's the family supposed to work? Um, But in that moment, I'm I'm, I'm meeting with uh, Larissa and uh, I bring my sister up there to Sonic and she comes out, my, my wife, uh, now Larissa, she comes out. And I think she thought that I was with another girl. And so she writes a note, hi, friend. And some car hop brings it out. And I write back, I'm not your friend. And send it back in. Because <laughs> she hadn't talked to me in the, you know probably a couple months. And you know she eventually comes out. And long story short, she starts coming to church. And so she got saved uh, in that June of uh, 2006 and started coming uh, to church in, I want to say, uh, around October and came for about a month or so, and then I realized, I was like, man, uh, there's something different about this girl that beyond the issues, like I saw there was, there was a nurturer in her heart, and I was like, man, there's something beautiful underneath the surface beyond the outside beauty, and I'll never forget, it was a Tuesday night, I was in uh, youth band practice, and we're going through doing our thing, practicing, and she is blowing my phone up, and I'm like, what's wrong? And she's like, I need to take this pill. I got to write this like 1500 page essay and I need to take this to, to be able to do it. And I told her, I said, look, if you're going to take any of the pills or any of the drugs, I said, I'm, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not talking to you. And I never forget in a band practice early, she came over to my house. I helped to do some research and helped to help her get the, the, the page started. And it was about midnight and I was like, you can't stay here, so you got to go. So she went home. We got on AOL Instant Messenger, <laughs> and I stayed up all throughout the night helping her write this page wow. so she didn't take a drug. And she she told me in that moment, she said, that was the, the first time that I seen the love of God, wow. that you didn't bail on me, that you stayed do that. And that really was the thing that just unlocked her heart, even yes. to me, because I didn't know at the time, but she wasn't really attracted at all. So it was one of those things that um, she was just looking for a friend. And, and so we... Eventually, uh, we get through it on this side, and like the Lord's doing something in my heart towards her, and something in her heart towards me. And she starts coming to church for that month. We uh, about a month after that, we start dating. Um, I, I'm, I'm doing quotes yeah. dating. Uh, November 27th, I want to believe off the top of my head. Um, and two weeks into that, we have a, a Christmas party at my work, and I invite her to come, and she's sitting there. And the owner of the company comes by and says, uh, oh, is this your girlfriend? And she was like, no. And uh, oh. so 
So we leave that place afterwards and we go to the mall parking lot. It's dark outside. And I'm like, what do you mean? How could you say it? Like, like I feel so embarrassed. And she says, we're dating. We're not boyfriend and girlfriend. I, I didn't know there was a difference. And so right off the bat, we was like, okay, well, let's get clarified. Let's clarify what the, the expectations are. The uh, Have that talk. The, the uh, DTR, the define the relationship. So we started there. And man, God has just since then, it's been this journey of growing together. And I, and I never forget, even in that moment, watching her, who wasn't really raised in church, her parents um, had divorced when she was five and both remarried and both are just great people, but they didn't grow her up and raise her up in, in church. And so all this is new. So she didn't know about, it. you know, I remember it was kind of cute the first time she uh, talked about the gospels, she called them the gospels. And, uh, and I kind of just smirked, but that was like, Ooh, you know, she, yeah. she really kind of you know, felt insecure about that. And so anyway, it was just, I had to remind myself that I've been on this journey a little bit longer. And what is this? Like we're, we're starting a new norm, started dating and uh, we dated for about a year and a half and then eventually uh, got married in May of 2008. So there we go. And you have four babies. You have four kids. <laughs> four kids. Pray for us. Um, yeah, that's busy. Yes. And so we, when we got married, um, still, it was kind of uh, glad to have my mom in the picture. That was amazing. Um, we were kind of on our own for the most part. Uh, we paid for the wedding ourselves. Um, her family helped out a little bit uh, with some of the other things. And some people gave us gift cards. But really, it was just like we were out on our own. And so started off not having a foundation that was solid, didn't know how to hand, handle finances, how to even have difficult conversations. We both grew up with um, just a different, I won't say dysfunctional, but just just a not healthy what perspective of what relations, relationships are supposed to look like. And uh, we start on this journey and we're married and we're ready to go. Immediately we get into financial debt, uh, which you know that finances cause more issues in relationships than anything right. else. And so we're sitting here um, trying to figure out, well, hey, how do we how do we navigate through this? At this point, I'm still traveling on the road. Oh, wow. And so kind of back and forth. And she's still going to church by herself when the times when I'm out, which I thought, man, this is a, uh, what an incredible woman that, you know, the potential that God really showed me when we first met each other. I was like, it was coming to fruition. She's growing in her faith. I'm growing in my faith. And then uh, six months in uh, to getting married, uh, she's, she tells me, hey, we're pregnant. And I'm like, well, that wasn't the plan. We, we've already, at this point, written $2,000 checks on our credit card to pay bills. And, you know, with whatever that 30% interest is. Oh, wow. and, and so, like, that wasn't the game plan. She was in banking now. And we're like, well, what are we going to do? And it was just that moment of, hey, we're just going to we're gonna continue to trust the Lord. And I told her, because uh, doing the, the music ministry and traveling, that, that was my dream. And... I was like, okay, I've got to forfeit that because I got to be home. And so I told us that I want to be home. I want to be the dad that I never had. And so we had decided when we were uh, when we were going to have our, our firstborn that she was going to stay at home. She was going to quit banking, and I was going to come off the road. And so I called the previous employer and I said, hey, I'm coming off the road, and uh, didn't know if you had any openings. And I didn't know at the time, but they actually had a position open as the general manager. They would over all the store operations of the store managers. And so they said, hey, I think this would be wow. a great fit for you. So I came off the road, stepped into a promotion, and was able to have a sense of consistency uh, and stability and played the last show. And then next week had the baby, came off the road, stepped into that new role. And that was, so our firstborn, that was what the first, you know, the, that season looked like for the first couple of years coming back. I was home. 
uh, every week, um, you know, serving in the, in the youth band still. And did that for uh, a couple more years, for about two more years. And went through some transition at our church. Our senior pastor made some bad mistakes and ended up getting let go. Got a new senior pastor. Uh, and during this interim, the church started contracting me to lead worship on Sunday. And you're still all working full-time uh, in management. And so new senior pastor comes and we just have conversations. And he says, hey, um, we need a worship pastor. And I think you're the guy. And all of a sudden I saw, I stepped back and I thought, um, man, I don't want to work at church. Because I remember that conversation with that guy had. And I'm like, I didn't want anything to do with that. Yeah. You know, but do you think you hear from God more than me and my right, stuff? The hotline right. of God. And, and I was like, still at the, the core, I was like, here's this hood rat that got saved. I love Jesus. I love the church, but I'm not going to get caught in all the politics. Right, right. I'm too rough and jagged for that. And then I remembered what the Lord put in my heart, yeah. the vision and minister to people through words and music. I thought, man, I'm giving 50, 60 hours a week in business management, then giving another 15, 20 hours a week in serving the church. Like I could probably step in and help fulfill my personal call while also helping to fill the need here. So I ended up putting my yes on the table and stepped into that role and did that. So did it contractually for a couple of years and then jumped in full time and, and really just not knowing, didn't go to seminary. When I, when I graduated high school, I was on my own, had to right. start working 60 right. hours a week. So I didn't go to college even. So I, I'm sitting here really at the epitome of what the disciples were, the ignorant, right. unlearned fishermen. <laughs> And here I am called in to do this. Never really built a uh, in the adult uh, teams. Like I was always in students and youth. And right, so kids right. and students are different. So I was like, well, how do I lead the adults and get in there? So it was all just this growing up um, both physically and spiritually and even uh, in many ways professionally and started doing that, man. God just really started to bless it. There was a lot of tension because the previous senior pastor also would lead worship and the church quickly grew to over a thousand, so there was a lot of momentum. Um, but the style, stylistically, it was very kind of almost country feel. Yeah. It's lots of hymns, which is everything that I'm not. I didn't know what right. hymns. Right. right. And so the new senior pastor was like, here's the style we want to go, which was, you know, contemporary Christian music style. And, and so there was this divide between me and this, this other guy who was one of the main leaders. And before I joined officially on staff, and it was kind of like, the, the stylistic divide music, it was also kind of dividing almost the church. And so when we finally landed in that and they, they put me on, brought me on the team, it was like this uphill battle of like, okay, now I've got to prove and now I got to go against all the, all the haters and do all that while also trying to figure out what I'm doing. Cause I don't know what I'm doing. Right. And so I step into uh, that and just, man, the Lord's just blessed it. We started uh, growing and it was an incredible season for me to grow personally, for that pastor to take a chance on me not having any experience really. And I was there for five years and the team grew and just um, the, the church culture grew. And it was a really, really, really special time. Uh, and that really, during that season, we had our second son, our second child, which was a son, first was a girl. And uh, we were just trying to be faithful. We were there at that church for a total of about 10 years. And I was on staff uh, for officially for five years and then a couple years contract. And the plan was, hey, we bought our forever home. And it's like, hey, we're going to be here forever. And that is where when we kind of just dug our roots down and, and everything seems to be, you know, coming into uh, to play. My mom was uh, back in the picture. She was with the grandbabies seeing them and, and that relationship was restored. Wow. Wow. And all this while, while um, I, I got to go back to a, a, a very key moment real quick. Um, 
when God restored the relationship with my mom, at the time when I was traveling on the road, uh, at this point, hadn't seen my dad mention the word dad uh, in 15 years. Like literally didn't tell anybody that I loved him, didn't say that. And we were traveling with, I was traveling with Jeff Deal. We were playing in Washington State where my dad went to prison. And come to find out we're going to be in the same city where we lived. And so I tell my mom, I said, hey, uh, we're playing in this city. And I feel like this is, you know, I don't know what's going on here, but I just want to let you know. She's like, oh, my gosh, you you know, you need you need to reach out to your dad. And I said, I had not even said the word dad. Wow. And come to find out, she had a picture. I still have it to this day. Around the time my dad went to prison, she took us to this conference at this place in Yakima, Washington, at, at the Sundome Marina. And it was like guys like Mario Murillo and Jeff Finholz, some of these guys that are kind of like Carmen, like yeah. big Christian guys, revivals or whatever. And we had this picture with this guy, Jeff Finholt, long curly hair, rocker or whatever, and us six kids and my mom. And uh, she said, this is at the Sundome Arena. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like we're playing at the Sundome wow. Arena. And I was like, God, this is like so weird. And, um, and I don't know what to do with all this. And so she ends up giving me his number, my dad's number. She kept it over the years. And I kind of just cold call and I'm like, Hey, we're, this is your son, Josh. And I'm going to be in town and didn't know if you'd be open to connecting. And, and it was this conference. We were playing this, this conference, like 10,000 students in, in the state. And, uh, he agrees to meet up. So he shows up, doors are about to open. Everyone's lining up outside and he kind of weaves through and, you know, I tell my bass player, Hey, uh, I'm going to go help me find my dad. And he's like, yeah, what's he look like? I'm like, I don't know. And uh, so <laughs> come to find out, we, we end up, you know, meeting together and he comes and it's that all that awkward kind of first, do I, do I shake your hand? Do I right. hug you? Right. Do I say hi, James? Or do I say dad? And we get through all that. And man, just after the conference that night, stay up till like two in the morning. I got to meet his mom. And I guess I met her when I was a kid, but I, I don't remember and uh, she was on oxygen, just not doing well. But I got to meet and got to share the love of God and say, here's, I know that this has been a life of hell. It's been tough. But here's what, look what I'm doing now. Look what God has opened up. And I just want you to know that I forgive you. And that and I was doing the best. Ultimately, why I wanted to meet up with him is I wanted him to see the grace of God in, yeah. in my life. That, hey, if God is, look what he's done to me. Like, not only do I forgive you, but I want you to forgive you. And in that moment when I thought that I was actually letting him go, it was, it was really the Lord releasing me. Like I wasn't releasing it. The Lord was releasing me from all those years of daddy issues and all these other things of like, okay, like now we can start the healing process. Wow. Like at that point I had been saved for years and I had acknowledged all my hurt and my pain right. and all that other stuff. I was open with it with my testimony, but it couldn't be healed because there wasn't reconciliation. There wasn't this sense of, hey, like there was a, there was a something like a, a, an artifact stuck in your, in your body, whatever it is. And it was like, I kept trying to put a bandaid around it. But it's like, I needed to remove that so the healing process could actually begin. And so it wasn't until then that it was like, okay, now, like I thought I was already healed because it was calloused over or whatever, it scabbed up. But it was like, no, I want that scab to become a scar. Right. And so now it's like, now we start. So I've been on that journey Wow. For the past 15 years of of trying to allow that scab to turn to a scar to where now when I see it, it's like, okay, there's, it's not like it's, it's raw and it's like, oh my gosh. So let me get back to where I was saying with this, with uh, that story. So that, that's so catalytic. At that point, we connect, get um, information and we stay in contact 
Wow. Text message once a couple times a year, maybe a phone call. Not a lot of communication. Yeah. And at this point, living in uh, Nashville, got two kids, um, and a church from Mississippi reaches out to me, cold call kind of uh, thing on LinkedIn. My LinkedIn was like a MySpace, didn't have anything. Right. But an email. <laughs> and they reach out and want to connect. And, and I see Mississippi, and it was a Baptist church, and I thought there's two things that don't aren't congruent with me. <laughs> And my wife was seven months pregnant with our third child. And we go through this process. And ultimately it was, she said, I had a, I have a peace that I haven't felt in years. And we had no reason. We weren't looking. It was like we were settled in. So we decided to put our yes on the table. Long process. But we ended up moving to Mississippi, get connected with this amazing church there in worship ministry. And that's where uh, we were at for the past five years, building, growing. Uh, we had our third child there. And then uh, while we were there, we also had our fourth child. And two years ago, had a conversation with our senior executive pastor who basically just said, hey, I want you to pray about being one of our campus pastors. And at that time, I thought, okay, well, uh, I'll pray about it. There was opportunity. I didn't feel that that was the right place or time for that. So I kind of put my, you know, I said, hey, thanks, but, but no thanks. And they said, hey, we'll put it on the shelf. We'll consider it later. And... Fast forward to May of 2019, I was at a friend's church in Orlando. Anytime we go on vacation in Orlando, we'd go to visit his church. And basically, I was filling him in on where we have been. And this guy was like, hey, I want to get one of my other pastors to pray over you because oftentimes God will give him a word. And never met this other guy. He comes up and he just starts praying. Now, I've seen a lot of cool things in church. I've also seen a lot of weird things. And so I got my voice memo recorder and I was like, all right, let's pray. And I literally recorded it. And this guy I never met before. He started praying. He said, God, I thank you that where you have Josh, you've strategically placed him. And it's not by accident, but you've been setting things up. Uh, and now you're speaking to him about divine timing, that the time of transition that he's been sensing is quickly approaching. And as he would hear that, he would be wrestling because what you would transition him out of was what he was most comfortable doing. Uh, but I thank you that you've equipped him for it. And then he went on for another five minutes. Well, that word I've been sitting on for the past basically two and a half years. And uh, fast forward to um, that guy calls me and says, hey, man, I know what you were sharing some of the things that were in your heart. Well, hey, we're launching a campus in North Dallas. Didn't know if you'd be interested to have a conversation. And I was like, oh, you know, that's, I didn't want to launch the last one. So I kind of said, no, I'm processing all these things. And But at the end of the day, remembering that word that I feel like the Lord gave me two years ago. And one thing led to another. Conversations happened, got connected with the guys and really for the past five or six months, was was in conversation. No thanks had been Josh's answer, but now he was willing to say yes. He was able to see how God had been orchestrating things and was able to experience another restoration in his family. And eventually they, you know, Lake Point decided to move forward with, with uh, offering the position. And I asked him at the time, I said, hey, why did you want to move forward? Because there was like 200-something people applied and... And, you know, they affirmed some things. Then he said uh, it was a huge plus that you were working at this other church in Mississippi because, like, we love them. We know what they're doing. And that was just, that really was a, a catalytic thing in this decision. So then all of a sudden it dawned on me, man, the beginning of that prophetic word that yeah. where I have you, it's not by accident, but I've been strategically yes. placed. You've been setting things up. And, and now all of a sudden it's the timing, the place, the position, the, the purpose, all that kind of came together where it's like, okay, here we are. And so put our yes on the table, moved here three months ago. And uh, right before we moved, um, my biological dad called me and hadn't seen him at this point since I was 23. 
so another almost 15 years, 14, 15 years. And my kids have been asking, are we ever going to meet your granddad or, or meet granddad, or meet your dad? And I just, it was just awkward. I didn't want to manufacture yeah. anything. And anyways, long story short, we ended up meeting up with them, having breakfast. All the kids met him, met him, Larissa met him. And it was just this full redemption to where it's like, oh man, like this sense of complete healing and just this completion of now even my kids seeing that just another layer of healing in that process. And so I just say all that to say through all of the hurt, the pain, the trauma, the heartache, really a couple of verses that really have helped to pave the way for me in my process of healing is what Joseph went through in Genesis chapter 50, um, uh, all from Genesis 38 through 50, it gets to the end of it. And he says, what the enemy meant for evil, God meant it for good. And I could just rest in that and replay all those memories, all those things that I share with you that they were heartache and heart wrenching. And it was like, man, there was a plan for that, that God doesn't waste pain. He's got purpose in the pain. And then to see on the other side of the New Testament, Romans 8, 28, that he's causing everything to work together for our good, for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And so as I stepped into that, this, this next season, looking back at the past three and a half decades of God's faithfulness, God's sovereignty in the middle of where I thought, why am I forgotten? Why am I neglected, abandoned? And, and thinking there's no purpose in that, that God's like, I had a plan. And he's, I can't, I can't see the, the full puzzle piece coming together, but day by day, as I learned to trust him with that pain, trust him with that hurt, trust him with that struggle, trust him with that resentment or unforgiveness, whatever it is that it comes together. And it's, it's painting this beautiful, beautiful mosaic picture that I wouldn't have thought initially was a, a piece of art, but that's right. why we're just resting in what Ephesians 2 says, that after being saved by grace, not of our works, so we can't boast about it. He says that right. we're his, his workmanship, his craftsmanship, that yeah. we are this beautiful piece of work that he's putting together, even in the middle of brokenness and hope, that God has a plan, that he can use anything and anybody, uh, every person that is surrendered to him is a vessel that can be used for his glory. That is an awesome word right there. And he will use it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to add? You know, I just, I, once again, I just say uh, broken pieces are best used. Uh, that the, the artists, when we give those pieces yeah. to him, when we, when we allow him to do what he does best, yes. then that is when we get to the place where we just know our perspective and our role and understand that God sees a bigger picture that we can't see. Yeah. That even in the, the, the analogy that the Bible gives with, with pruning, that for those that are bearing fruit, that he'll, he'll cut off, he'll prune it. And what seems like sometimes in our life is, is, is painful, that's why is this being cut off? It's actually that the gardener is never more near than when he's pruning. Yeah. And so it's a comfort to know that if you're in the middle of heartache, if you're in the middle of pain, the middle of hurt, the middle of this doesn't make sense, that that is a yeah. beautiful thing. The Bible says that God is near to the brokenhearted yeah. to rest in that knowing that he's got a plan and that he does restore, he does redeem all things and to know that he doesn't waste it. So if he doesn't waste it, man, let's not despise it. Let's let's not just go through things, but let's grow through it as we give it to him. And I believe that he, he'll do it. His word is faithful. And I believe he'll redeem it and restore it ultimately for our good, but his glory. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. That's an amazing story. Healing wasn't something that Josh grew up hoping for. And when it had arrived, it didn't look the way he expected it either. But when he got a heavenly father in place of the dad he never had, 
He trusted this Heavenly Father with everything. He let God decide his steps and their timing. And looking back on his life, he's blown away. Josh is now the campus pastor at Lake Point Church's newly launched North Dallas campus at 635 and Central Expressway. For more information, go to lakepoint.church. Thanks again for listening to Kaval the Podcast. It's our joy to share these stories of hope in a confusing world. To keep up with our guests and adventures in podcasting, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We would also love it if you gave us a review on whatever podcasting platform you use. It helps us continue to share hope around the world. We are so grateful for our listeners who financially support Kava the Podcast. If you would like to become a supporter, please consider donating via Patreon or contacting us about sponsorship opportunities. You can find more information at kavapodcast.com. That's Q-A-V-A-H podcast.com. I would like to thank my head writer, Rebecca Gray, and audio engineer, Meredith Douglas. I could not do this without you. You make this happen, and I can't express my gratitude. Maybe you've been listening because you found yourself in a desperate place. We want you to know that all is not lost. It is our desire that you would be able to borrow hope from those who've gone before you, those who've waited to find a positive outcome. Please be sure and connect with us via our website or social media. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.